Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bare Minimum, Babe. So before I get into the episode, I just really wanted a quick tell us kind of a story, just kind of like a little tidbit about my life really quickly. So I just recently got at the time of recording this right now, I just recently got back from my three year COVID delayed honeymoon. We got married in November of 2019. And we just went on vacation October 2022. So we were able to go which was great. So but it also meant that it overlapped with two of the Tuesdays, which is Tuesdays when Bare Minimum Babe comes out, it's it becomes live on Apple and Spotify and wherever you're listening to this. So in order to like, keep that consistency, especially since I'm this is a newer podcast. I couldn't just skip. Well, I could have. It just wouldn't have been great. I didn't want to skip um, reframing the can't to sh- I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to skip even one of the Tuesdays, especially not two. So what I had to do beforehand was plan around the stuff I already had kind of packed in order to like get ready for the honeymoon. But I had to also carve into time to prepare for two other episodes and at least brainstorm for a third because I knew like the episode I'm recording now that it might take me a little bit longer to get back into the swing because, you know, I had to catch up and do other things. So before I left for my honeymoon in Portugal, I had to plan pretty well, not like months in advance, but I had to, you know, plan ahead and write and record the episode, edit it. Um, and while I was in Portugal, I set alarms for to post certain things. Like I wanted to make sure it went off at 4.30 and I had to like try to convert like Central Eastern time. I was like, that's five hours. Um, I had to do like the mental math, which it shouldn't be that difficult, but for some reason it is for me. Um, so I had to make sure things posted on time and some of the stuff I had to do in real time, like I couldn't do ahead of time. Like I can't post ahead of time. And there are like programs that you can do to post ahead of time. But the way I've been doing it is I wanted to re- screen record you know, posts and things like that. So I can put it in the video. So some of the stuff I had to do in real time. So I had to set alarms and stuff like that to do the marketing that I, you know, wanted. And I didn't market on social and stuff as much as I would have liked. But I was happy with what I did, because I didn't make excuses. And I still got it done. And I was able to keep up weekly like I, I I didn't miss anything. And I got on time and I, I prepared and I literally opened my computer. Um, Like I guess it was like Tuesday morning because I couldn't sleep with the jet lag. It was like Tuesday morning in Portugal at like, I don't know, 12 o'clock, which anyway, it was like I was doing the math and I was like, oh, I have to do this. And I I forgot that I had done it beforehand. I opened the thing and I was like, oh, you already did it, Amanda. I literally said, oh, geez, thank you, Amanda. I literally like thanked myself aloud that I had thought to do certain things. So those corny things of like, do what your future self will thank you for. Like I legit thanked my past self of like, thank you, Amanda. Um, So it was a side tangent, but I think it's related because I realized when I was looking at it that I was proud of myself. And I wanted to share that because I feel like we don't acknowledge the things we do where we brush them off, or at least I do. I'm sure a lot of people do too. But if you step back and pretend like somebody else had done it, you would say, you know, huh, good for them. I know that took planning and effort to stay dedicated. It must be important to them. So that's how I know I should at least be a little proud of myself because if it were somebody else that did these things prior to going on their honeymoon and like also doing it on their honeymoon and setting things up like the next day when they were still jet lagged and still like posting and stuff like that, I would appreciate that dedication. So I'm like, yay, Amanda, you did it. And so that I feel like that might be slightly helpful for you to also kind of look at yourself and be like, you know, if that were somebody else, what I was doing, would that be at least somewhat impressive or like kudos to them, you know? So 
Anyways, let's get back to the actual episode. Today, I'm going to be talking about the difference in mindset between being the person or the guru or top dog, whatever you want to call it in your field versus being a contributor and part of the conversation. So I read this in a book recently that I highly recommend that a friend of mine recommended to me. And I was like, oh, God, not another like self-help productivity book, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually really good. And I like I'm so glad that I actually did like immediately buy it because she said how great it was for her. And I immediately bought it and I read it pretty quickly. It's It's a quick read, but it's Chillpreneur by Denise Duffield Thomas. And in it, she... I'm paraphrasing, uh, paraphrasing here, so like bear with me a little bit. Um, she said something to the effect of, it's okay to not be the guru in your field. You're allowed to be, quote unquote, just a contributor and be part of the conversation. When I say just, it doesn't mean like, oh, she's just a contributor. Like, no, you're a contributor, a contributor to the conversation. Like the president's really important, right? But there's also the hundred Senate members and stuff like that. And like the judicial system, I'm doing like American like government right now, but it isn't literally the president as a dictator. And even in a dictatorship, there's still agencies and people that he like, you know, like gives stuff out to. It's usually like a male. So I'm saying he, but like, there's never just one singular person. There's always way more contributors than there is a guru. And I don't even know if like guru is a thing anymore. Cause it sounds kind of culty, but Basically, the point that I'm making is that when you set yourself up to be the person, like the guru or like the top in your field, whatever, it sets obviously so much pressure on you. And then also, it's so hard to be that one person and everyone's different. So everyone wants different things and everyone brings different things to the table. So the being the best is kind of subjective, right? Like someone really likes Beyonce and says she's the best, but someone really likes David Bowie. He's the best musical artist. Like that's not a thing. It's all just subjective. So I'm, I'm tied tangent here, but the main point is it's a lot of pressure and it also creates a sense of hostile competition between you and especially other women to be that one person. And so it's really just okay to be a contributor and part of the conversation. You're still an expert and people still come to you, but you feel less scarcity and competition and more a sense of helping others that are similar to you in your field. If you look, if you frame what your goal is as trying to be a contributor instead of the guru, like just chill, <laughs> like you don't have to be the top. You can still be amazing. When I read this, I felt a weight come off of my shoulders. I feel like that's corny to say and very metaphorical and cliche, but I didn't know that I needed someone to tell me this. And as soon as I read this, I kind of like stopped reading and I did the, yeah, yeah, I pause, you know, I didn't know that I needed someone to tell me that it was okay to not be the person, the top and how much pressure I'd been putting on myself. And then also on other people, honestly, because I was silently and sometimes not so silently judging others who were also pursuing things and they didn't want to be like the top and they didn't have like huge goals or whatever because I was like well then they're not taking it seriously so they're not gonna be successful which is kind of stupid um so anyways today we're gonna go a little deeper into that and how it it can maybe help you chill out and help others you might have previously seen as competition so without further ado let's get into the episode So I'm going to quickly talk about something called the Smurf at principle, because I think it's relevant to why we as women especially feel this internal and often external sense of competition with other women and how this relates as well to being the person in our field and that pressure we put on ourselves and 
other people to be that person. So the Smurfette principle is a phrase that was first coined in a New York Times article from 1991 by Katha Pollitt. And the main point in, well, also in the show notes, I'll have all this stuff linked so you can like read the article and stuff like that. So if you click in the show note description, I'll have the post, the show notes for this on the bareminimumbabe.com website. And then you can see all the links that I'm talking about. But anyways, the main point of this article is that in most stories, whether it's movies, books, TV shows, tall tales, like literally whatever, it's a majority male cast with a few female characters to basically support the story in the path of that male lead or male leads, whatever it is, if there are any females at all. And sometimes there aren't any females, but if they're there, it's to support the male roles. So the Smurfette, Smurfette was the literally the only female character in the classic show from the 1960s. I think it was based on a cartoon. Originally it's like, I think it's like European cartoon or something like that. But anyways, an entire, if you haven't heard of it, I think they like did like a recently in like the two thousands, they did like a, live action remake or something with like Katy Perry is like Smurfette. So like, I'm sure you've seen it recently, at least like the posters for it, but it's from the 1960s originally, but basically it's an entire village of male Smurfs. Like there are these like little short, basically purple, uh, blue troll guys. Um, and she's the only female Smurf in an entire village of male Smurfs, which is like weird. Um, I don't want to like, God knows what I'd find on the internet if I Googled that, like thinking about it now, like there's probably not great stuff on it, but biologically it doesn't even make any sense. So it's just stupid. Um, but anyways, in this village, all the Smurfs have some kind of trait, basically like the seven dwarves and Snow White, like Sneezy and like Doc. I think there literally is like Doc character on Smurfs, but that they have a strong personality trait, essentially, like some type of strong trait skill, whatever. So there was like a smart one, musical one, the mar- the one that was in charge, the comedic one, whatever. The female Smurf was just a female Smurf. Like she had no discernible skill or talent other than existing as a female and being different from the rest simply for being a female. And then in the article, Katha goes on to, I'm not going to go into the entire article. You can read it a little bit more, but I did find it interesting when you actually like look at all the examples. Um, and mind you, hers are a little dated from 1991. But like, it's still relevant today. But she goes on to list a bunch of examples like Kanga from Winnie the Pooh. She's the only female and she's a mother. She plays the mother. Uh, Piggy from the Muppets is like just a pint sized version of like Miss Piggy. And she's like kind of like a sassy, like glamour queen that nobody actually likes. And then she goes on to like name April from like the Teenage Mutant Turtles. Like I said, it's a little dated. I think maybe I think people still know who the characters are. But anyways, the main message that I found most poignant is when she directly states, this is a quote I'm going to read right now. The message is clear. Boys are the norm. Girls, the variation. Boys are central. Girls, peripheral. Boys are individuals. Girls, types. Boys define the group, its story and its value, its code of values. Girls exist only in relation to boys. End quote. So for me, I feel like that literally sums up so much and not even just with movies and stories and TV shows. Like if you're not even like looking at screens just or reading books, it's just in life. Like girls are typecasted in life as like, oh, she's the smart one. Oh, she's the hot one versus like the boys are like complicated. You know, they have personalities. Girls are very types. And I don't want to get into this whole like rant side tangent thing, but I just think it's so important to like listen to all the examples like boys are the norm, boys are central, 
boys are individuals, boys define the group, it's story, like you follow the story of the male, and the girls only really uh, exist in relation to the boys, and that's very much in life. And so I guess it's like that cycle of life imitating art, art imitating life, that circle situation. So getting back on that, it this hasn't really much improved since the original article in 1991, even though, you know, the examples are dated. You can still see this trope in other movies and i did like a quick little google search and stuff like that and like star wars i know it started like in the 70s and stuff like that but even like the newer ones like they'd only had like they just had like a female lead as like kind of like the new plot point but that was literally decades and it was like a huge movie franchise the matrix there's like neo's girlfriend essentially is how he's she's related to him it's obviously his story and it's only defined by by him oceans 11 i know these are a little dated some of them but like Julia Roberts is the only female lead. There's literally so many. You can just Google it. Like Jumanji, like they the with the rock and stuff like that. Welcome to the jungle. It's like the trope that there's just like this hot girl, like it's a group of guys, and then the hot girl in like short shorts and a tank top. And I think they even make a joke about like, why am I wearing this? This is super impractical. And just side tangent because it's related, because I literally had this thought. So in the 2015 Jurassic World movie, which I liked, I thought it was like, you know, campy, it was fun though. But um, Bryce Dallas Howard is like the main female in the movie. The whole thing is like full of dudes because I think it's like an action movie, right? So it's mostly targeting guys. But anyways, Bryce Dallas Howard is in heels the entire movie. I cannot tell you how much that bothered me. She's literally running in like jungles and stuff like that. This girl has not taken her heels off. Dude, like I like the second I can, I'm taking my shoes off. Like, why are you still two hours into this movie in your heels? You were literally running from your life. Like... I don't know. I just it was mind blowing to me. So she still had to look so hot and like literally her hair looked impeccable the entire time. Like her, her point was clear in the movie, I guess is what I'm saying. I cannot tell you how much it bothered me that she had heels on the entire time. Watch the movie again and you'll notice it. I don't know if you noticed it and got as mad as I did. I'm a little crazy about it, which my, my husband makes fun of me for. But point is there's so many examples of largely male casts, whether it's literally whatever story with a female or two thrown in, and oftentimes it's like a side plot to advance the man's story. It's usually like a love story or like maybe she's sassy and she's like the quirky but hot professor girl who's like trying to be like logical to the man's like gruffness and like, you know, position of action. Like it's literally just such tropes. Um, and literally often in a sexual way, like I said, her main appeal is physical parents like Smurfette and like my side rant with the heels. Like girl is still wearing heels running from T-Rexes. I'm gonna let that go. I promise. I go into that backstory inside tangent about the Smurfette principle because I think it's so true. And by thinking, I mean, I I really do think it's true. Um, if you look at it the way I was kind of saying it just in real life, this Smurfette principle breeds an inherent, there can only be one mindset that women are then trained to view other women as competition because there literally is only one seat at the table for them. That's the entire point of Smurfette. There's one. There's only one hot girl trope in the movie. There's one to star. You only get one role to lead in that, like against that male lead. And that's not just like I said, in movies and stuff like that, it's in life, you know? So it creates that internal and external competition with women. So instead of helping 
boost other women up in pushing to create more seats, which is very hard to do. So I'm not judging at all. Like there's a whole system obviously set up from like thousands of years um, where we're just not invited to the table. And like once we are begrudgingly allowed a seat at the table, there's only one seat for us. So instead of, you know, helping other women, we often just view them as a threat because that singular seat, we want that to be ours. So we push them out like a weird patriarchal musical chair, a musical chairs essentially. So, and like, I kind of just a couple more little side things is that you see this all the time when you see, you know, directors of big company boards, big TV production offices, like governments, anything of importance, really, it's a room full of mostly white men. And there's only one or two women. If you're lucky, and if you're super lucky, there might be a non-white woman, which the board or whatever that entity is, will then feel good about because that person is like a double whammy of like, oh, cool, they count as the diversity and the gender inclusion pick. Cool, we got ourselves a Latina woman. Awesome, we're covered. I got myself a Latina woman. We can all be white males at the table. She counts, she's the voice for everybody, both women and Latina and literally any other race. That happens all the time. There's literally thousands of articles about that and how that's a ridiculous amount of pressure for that one person and also like crazy exclusion. So anyways, therefore, they'll feel good about their progress on both of those diversity and gender fronts, and then they'll leave well enough alone because they don't see that the real problem is that there's a singular seat to represent a majority of voices. So which side has always been stupid to me because women, I feel like not even just to me, it's just I feel like stupid because women are literally half the population because biology. Yet if you look at certain images around the world, like it's like we don't even exist. Like you, we're not allowed outside in a lot of countries. And like for a lot of the U.S. history, that's kind of what it was. It's messed up, clearly. So, of course, this breeds in us women a certain sense that there's only one spot for us because there often is just that singular spot. There is not there's no room for you at the table and other women. So helping other women seems like stupid because you're just pushing them into the seat And that doesn't make sense for you if you want that seat. So it's no wonder we don't do it a lot of times. And as a side thing, I was thinking about this as I was writing the show notes, is that um, if you've ever heard Doja Cat's uh, song Vegas, it was written, I'm pretty sure it was written for the Elvis Presley uh, biopic with like Tom Hanks and stuff like that. Anyways, in the lyrics, she says, you ain't the man, you ain't a man. It's a good song. It's catchy. But in it, like that literally says, if you're not the man, then you ain't a mere you're not a man period and i it was in reference to probably how elvis thought and also how a lot of us think like if you're not the woman then you're not a woman at all worth being considered essentially you're nothing if you're not everything super dramatic and go ahead and cue because i want it all nothing at all o-town anybody early 2000s Anyways, so in addition to women not having a seat at the table, there's this pressure to then become the best in your field, which is totally noble and worth trying for. But the issue is how we view our quote unquote competition. I feel like we often stop to re we forget to stop and realize that most of the time we're still in different markets and serve different people. And this doesn't even like apply just if you own a business. It's like literally different people are different. And other people like different things. So like just because one person likes you doesn't mean another person will and vice versa. Like not everything is for everybody. And so, again, the competition might not even be a legit competition. So 
for example, Target and Walmart are in direct competition with each other. So I'm just going to do a direct competition example. And they sell basically the same things. But there are obviously clear differences in each is target markets, locations, branding, storefronts, purpose, whatever. Like when I said Target, you thought one thing. If you've ever been to either Target or Walmart, you're thinking one thing, certain customers, certain feel of the store. When you think Walmart, you think a completely different thing, I'm sure. I know I think the I think what I think are completely different things and they have different purposes. And I prefer one for the other for certain things. There's different vibes and all those things. For example, you don't see like memes about people just buying Starbucks and just going to shop around at Walmart for fun. No, it's Target because it's different context for what you're using that store for. So both companies are in the same industry with the same products in a lot of cases, but have completely different selling points for why you would go to the one for versus the other and for those different purposes for different people. Each has found essentially a niche in kind of place where they can shine. So this applies to us as generally people as well, not just in business, but there is a play I'm sounding like super corny now, but there's a place for all of us because even if we are actually in direct competition with somebody for something like a promotion or like whatever, it doesn't mean that there isn't a place for all of us to be successful as well. Like, for example, like, yes, Beyonce and Rihanna are in quote unquote direct competition for your money for ticket sales and merch and streams on Spotify, whatever. But just because you go to Beyonce's concert and buy her merch and like, like stream her songs doesn't mean you can't do the exact same thing for Rihanna. Like you might only have like, I don't know, 500 bucks and like Beyonce is really expensive. Like Jay-Z and Beyonce, Beyonce came to town when I was like, oh, great. Ticket, like the crap ticket was literally like $350 before fees. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. No, thank you, Beyonce. So, I mean, maybe it might be in direct competition where you're like, literally, like, that's a lot of money. I can only choose one. But in most scenarios, just because you go to the Beyonce, like, if you chose the Beyonce concert because it was $350 and you didn't have any money left for Rihanna, it doesn't mean you don't own, like, a Rihanna sweatshirt and you won't, you'll stop listening to her music suddenly. Or, like, to get off the music example, just because you wear blue doesn't mean you hate green. Like, that kind of, like, these are silly examples, but... Hopefully you get my point that when you kind of like step back and make these kind of silly examples, you can also realize that's basically what's happening to us in real life when we view other women in this kind of black and white, very clear cut way that it's a competition always for things. There's only one Oprah and only one you. And I'm giving another example, but Oprah, because Oprah is obviously huge and is instantly recognizable with just her first name, like Beyonce, Madonna, Adele, Queen, whatever. And it's amazing to strive to be another Oprah. Sure, if you want to like in my mind, I'm like, okay, everyone knows Oprah. She's like the quote unquote guru of like probably everything in my mind. So is it amazing to strive to be another Oprah? Sure. But you can also be a huge part of that conversation and carve out your own niche without trying to knock Oprah off her perch that she worked very, very hard to build for herself and other women around her. And so I think it's important to recognize like what you count as your like competition and acknowledge what they've done as well and what the the work is that it took to get there as well and not just trying to knock people off of their perch to be that person the Oprah or whatever and like for example if I asked you to to name someone influential that you've heard of at some point in your life I feel like I can safely assume that your mind won't go blank and all you see is Oprah's face like right so instead of striving to be Oprah 
or whatever Oprah is to you. Like if you want to be like the best writer or the best, like I literally have no idea, the best mom. So like you have like different, I have no idea what your best thing is, but whatever that best is that you kind of put on a pedestal, instead of striving to be that Oprah or whoever that is and putting all this pressure on yourself to be that one Smurfette at the table, just make it a goal to be the best you can in your field, literally whatever that means in your case. So like if it's an accountant, mother, wife, sister, writer, painter, teacher, nurse, whatever. So at the risk of sounding really corny, just be the best that you can be and help within your field the best you can. And you don't need to be the one, the guru to be successful. Because if that were true, there would only be one person on all the TV screens, all the movie screens, only one author writing all the books one singer singing all the songs, one person giving you your morning news, that obviously isn't the case, right? So the scarcity is just a made up thing a lot of times in our mind that I know I personally like wholly subscribe to and then I try really hard to click unsubscribe to every day. And it's hard for sure. And partly this episode is me talking to me about like, just knock it off. But, and I'm not saying scarcity is in some ways made up, the smart fat principle is not, it is very real. But instead of trying to fight with other women for that singular seat at the table, let's help other women cut down their own trees and make their chairs to bring to the table. Like give that girl a chainsaw and help her paint the lacquer, you know, bad chair making jokes aside, really the best way I think to get our seat at the table was to help other women build their seat at the table as well because it provides another person at the table vouching for you. Like there's, you know, there's power in numbers. And so if you can make another seat at that table for somebody else, that's great. And, you know, if there isn't a seat for us, build one and build one for the woman next to you. And like, matter of fact, just build your own table and pull up the chairs for other women, like help them build their chairs, but build your own table and bring those women with their chairs up to the table. I'm, there's a lot of like metaphorical chairs and tables right now. But basically what I'm saying, I'm making it sound easier than it is because it's not easy, right? It, it takes a lot of thought, but it, it, I feel like once you realize it and you become conscious of it, it's it, you can only see it and try. So like, I don't know, I thought of like Sylvester Stallone. Like nobody want to put him in the movie. Dude made his own wildly successful franchise that I'm sure everyone heard of, Rocky. And then another example is like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Nobody wanted to put them in a movie. So they made Goodwill Hunting and it's obviously like won a bunch of awards. And, you know, like a female example, the first one that came to my mind was Reese Witherspoon. She didn't see that many like female owned production houses. She had the money backing and authority to create her own. And now she's like basically a movie producer. She's taking what she knows and she's promoting other women's stories. Like she just um, backed a uh, Where the Crawdads Sang, uh, Where the Crawdads Sang. And I haven't seen the movie, but I did read the book and it was wonderful. And it's a female author. So she's promoting female written stories to the screen, like worked on by women with strong female leads. Like she's doing her quote unquote part that she feels is her duty for other women. And so I'm saying that to say like, it's harder than I'm making it sound, obviously, but you can do it in ways that you're able to in your position right now. Like if you own a business or maybe you like you're a manager at a company, not if you just own a business, but like make it a point to hire women and not just women that look like you. Like I'm saying this because I'm a white woman. And so I have to recognize like it's I feel like there is racism, obviously, but I say that obviously because not everyone sees it. But I so maybe it's not as obvious, but 
there's racism, but then there's also just subconscious bias for things that are like you or people that like the things that you do. It's called friends, you know, like you start having friends because you like work together. So you have the same job. And I know like for me personally, like I have big curly red hair. So any any time that I see another person that generally just has red hair and especially if they have curly red hair, I'm like, oh, hi, friend. I instantly notice them because I can see myself in them. And I bring this up to say like that obviously isn't like racist, quote unquote, because it's just like a redheaded person. But you look for other people like you can see yourself in. And that is a problem because a lot of a lot of the hiring and like bid decisions just in the world are done by white men. And therefore, if that's if you look for similarities and finding connection that way with finding those similarities, you're going to see they're going to see themselves in other white men. And so it just creates a cycle where more white men are like moving forward because they're just not seeing themselves in women. So it's just not done. So that's a side tangent. But basically what I'm saying is like in your own circumstance, whatever you're able to do, like just do that, like shop women owned business, promote your friend's stuff, like share it on social, like just do the bare minimum essentially, like of being a good friend of like being a good person, you know, just help other women. Um, and as a side note, this is, I was thinking of this as I was writing the show notes for this. Um, if you've heard of Solange, the artist, the musical artist Solange, she's not as big um, as her big sister Beyonce, but she is her own artist. So anyway, she put an album out a couple of years ago that uh, basically deals with the, I think it's just like the general struggle of black people in America, but especially black women to kind of make a seat at the table in America and kind of how that creates issues and kind of certain feelings and mindsets anyways it's one of my favorite albums i highly suggest a listener to it's a side tangent but i was related because the seat at the table as i was writing i was like oh i keep saying a seat at the table her album is literally titled a seat at the table so go take a listen i'm gonna wrap this up uh really quickly and i realized i talked about a lot of things in this episode um i thought they were all interconnected so i hope hopefully you got my like mind train of like the thoughts and kind of where those different tracks were going but essentially it all comes down to like take the pressure off ourselves to be the person because when you, I, I'm going to just say, I'll speak from I, I guess. So when I, like I said, when I read that in the chillpreneur book that I didn't have to be the guru, I had like this weird, just like, huh, where I actually stopped and thought I don't have to be that I can still be successful and when I had that realization, it made me less, I don't know if critical is the right word, because I don't think it is. I wasn't critical. It was like a not acknowledged sense of competition with other people who theoretically aren't even my direct competition, just who I thought were doing well. And because I thought they were doing well, I couldn't do well because they were doing well, which doesn't make any sense. Obviously, I'm saying it like, what are you talking about, Amanda? But you don't have to be the guru. You can be a contributor and still be successful. And whatever that level of success is for you, then that's that level of success. And in addition to that, like, it's just, I'm trying to like sum this up because I talked about so many things, but I, the Smurfette principle is real. And so that's another issue for being the guru is that you want to be the best in your field, like the guru, the top. And that's a lot of pressure. But in addition to that, like I said, it's a lot of times there is only one seat at the table for women, because it's just the Smurfette principle. And that's just how it's worked 
the entire course of history. And so there is actual competition for that singular seat. And, and now that I've kind of like pieced that together and like doing the research and stuff for this episode, I'm just, I want to just present that to you and just something that you can maybe think about to like look in your life and kind of the things that you're seeing and hearing and feeling within yourself of like, am I doing that? Like, am I viewing myself as the Smurfette? Am I the only, am I trying to be the Smurfette? Instead of doing that, just trying to help other women too, you know, like if you want to sit at the table, there's only one seat, help another woman build her, her seat and push that seat up at the table. And if the table doesn't have another room, any more room, just make your own freaking table. And I don't know what that might entail because I'm just kind of saying that very flippantly like, Oh yeah, just build another table. But really it just support people where you can and just kind of take the pressure off of you and other people to be that guru, you know, just not everything is a competition unless you're like, I don't know, playing football, you know? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me in your ears for another episode of Bare Minimum Babe. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend you think it could also be enjoyable or even helpful to. This podcast is really new and it would mean so much if you help me build my chair for a seat at the table by sharing this podcast with somebody if you enjoyed it. As always, I hope you have a great rest of your day and you're working towards whatever you want to be working towards. <laughs> That's really generic, but becoming the person you want to be, the pe like you are what you attract essentially. And so becoming the person you want to attract more of and and I guess challenge for you and myself as well is asking myself and yourself and how can I help another woman build her chair to pull up to the table today? So even the smallest things can mean the biggest. And I'm sorry for being like corny alert, very hardcore on this episode at some points, but you know, it means a lot, you know, doing like small things that you don't think are that big. It could be really big to somebody else. So that small thing can even be sharing this podcast with a few people. Hint, hint, wink, wink. I'm a let you loan. Okay. Adios, amiga. Shh. <laughs>